Dave and Peggy Jones come from Atlanta, Georgia. Dave grew up in California. Peggy grew up in Atlanta. And uh, they were on staff with Campus Crusade back in the 60s and the 70s. Dave has been pastor of, Dave and Peggy have been pastors, pastor of a church for more than 20 years. They have been on the national circuit with family life doing marriage seminars. And 12 years ago, God put on their hearts a special ministry of helping pastors and leaders in churches who are tired and worn out. And so over the last 12 years, they have helped more than 800 couples, and they consider that this new ministry that they have is an extremely vital ministry. So they host a house down in Atlanta called the Inn at River Mist, and they take, they take couples from, uh, from Christian leadership positions for a week or whatever, and they basically give them a time of rest, and they help them any way they can. So we've asked Dave and Peggy to come and give their love story and to just talk about how God has worked in their lives. Before they come... I'd like for us to read together this passage of Scripture. So if all of you will stand, you can just follow me and join with me. I'd like us to read this tremendous passage on God's love for us. So if you will join me. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that whoever loves God must also love his brother. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we sure hope that each of you who are married or engaged feel like you belong together. And I hope that those of you who are not married, some of you that are single, of whatever age, We hope that you also say, we belong together in a fellowship like this, fellowship, Bible, church. We belong together because we all need one another. We're all different, 
but we all need one another. It's been over a year that Peggy and I have been looking forward yes. to, to be here with you. Jim, thank you for uh, emceeing tonight. You've done a great job doing that. I remember years ago, many, many years ago, early in uh, my time with Campus Crusade for Christ, our time with Campus Crusade, one time I had a chance to emcee a program where Dr. Bill Bright was the main speaker. And I remember as I introduced him, at that time in the early 60s, Bill Bright, some of you knew Bill or knew of him, he had a mustache, he looked like Clark Gable. And I introduced him as the Clark Gable of Campus Crusade for Christ. He got up to the mic and he said, one more introduction like that, Dave, and you're gone with the wind. Well, it is a delight to, to be with you. We drove 600 miles in some to be here, and I decided if I can speak for a minute for every mile I drove, that would be good, but instead of speaking for every, a minute for every mile we drove, I'm going to try to speak a mile a minute instead, and yes, we'll better. get through this. Yes, yes. I'm Dave. This is Peggy. We met on a blind date. Well, you were blind. Yeah. And I wasn't. <clears throat> I was not blind, but you were blind. Yes. And do you remember the day it was? It was December 21st. What year? 1966. That's a long time ago. Whoa, that went fast. Oh, <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> we've got some fellow 66ers in here, right? <laughs> yep. We met on a blind date in 1966. We met in December. I proposed in March. She said yes in April. <laughs> And we got married in June. But honey, but honey, you have to tell them how you proposed so they'll understand why it took me so long to say yes. Well, I have been known to be expressively challenged, uh, <laughs> hmm. which means things don't always come out as fast or as, as eloquent as I wish. And on the night I proposed to her... Here was my proposal. I, I never recommend this for anybody. My proposal was this. If you were willing, I wouldn't mind spending the rest spending the spending the rest of my life with you. Yeah? If I was willing, you wouldn't mind spending the rest of your life with me? Really? That was it. Oh, that was it. I, I meant it with all my all heart. Your heart. <laughs> the best you could do. Well, it took me a while to think about that one. Yes, it, <clears throat> it did. And, and finally, she did say yes. Mm -hmm. And when she did, then we set the wedding date. Uh, she wanted it about a year later. I, I moved it up <laughs> significantly more because I didn't want to wait. But... Uh, we, we met on this blind date, and I remember that when we got married, that it was my desire to, to well, 
Can I time out? Sure. Can we go back a little bit? I'm expressively challenged. <laughs> yes. We've got to fill in a little bit here. Yeah, we did <clears throat> something quite significant. Yes. Um, is it okay if I talk you, about our first absolutely. day? Okay. Well, I came from a background where I was a party girl. I went to church because I'm from the South, and in the South, we go to church. Um, that's what you do when you live in the South. It's very socially expected, really. <clears throat> and is that water available yes. anywhere? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we belong together. We belong yeah, together. Yes. I'll, I'll be the glass, you be the water. Um, anyway, I had just a few weeks before meeting this person. I had come, <laughs> come home from a, from a date, and um, I remember going into my bedroom and saying, God, if you're real, I just show me, because I don't like living the way I'm living. <clears throat> and um, I remember going to church shortly thereafter, because I did that every Sunday. I went to church. I'd party on weekends and then go to church on Sunday. And when I went into the class that particular Sunday morning, I saw somebody across the room. He had hair. (laughs) He was blonde and tan, and he was dressed really sharp. And I'd never seen him before in the college department. And I said to the teacher, who is that guy? right over there. And she said, oh, that's Dave Jones, and he works for a Christian organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. And I said, oh, my goodness, that sounds very fanatical. (laughs) And she said, he is a really nice guy. You're home from college, and you're not dating anybody. He's here. You need to um, let me introduce you to him. Long story short, that's what happened. Um, We were introduced on a Wednesday night, and I remember the first thing I said to Dave Jones as we sat down at the church night supper prayer meeting. I said, what in the world, Dave, do you share with college students about Jesus that would make them want to hear what you have to say and not boo you out of the sorority or fraternity? And he said, why don't you, Peggy, pretend like you're not a believer, and I'll share with you what I would say to them. And I said, I can pretend. I do that. I do that real well. I didn't tell him that, but I, to myself, I said that. So he proceeded to share with me how to come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I had never, I couldn't believe it. I thought, he's read my mail. He knows me. He said things like, a lot of people take step 30 and 40 and 50, but they never take step one. That was me. I was the president of the youth group, but I didn't know that there was even a possibility of knowing God personally. And he said, um, he asked me if I had believed that there was a Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. And I said, yes, I've seen pictures. And he said, Peggy, have you ever walked across that bridge? And I said, no, I've never been out of the state of Georgia, pretty much. He said, well, I'm from California, and I have walked across the bridge. And a lot of people believe there is a Jesus Christ who is the bridge to God, the bridge to heaven. But they've never actually walked across the bridge. 
and light bulbs went on in my head. I couldn't believe what he had shared, and I thanked him very much, shook his hand, and went home. By the way, after she shook my hand and she went to her apartment, I went to my place where I was living, and I went home and said, today I met the girl I'm going to (laughs) marry. And And you? I went home, sat on my bed, lit up a cigarette, (laughs) and said, hmm, God, if what that guy just told me is true, then all I've done all my life was for the wrong reason. And so if you want to, I want you to come into my, my life. And show me where to go from here, because I don't have a clue. And Dave likes to say that Jesus did come in that night. He coughed a few times because he said it was smoking in there. But I like to say that night I met my master, my mate, and my mission all in the same night and didn't even know it. And so that's how we began, romantically. So then I propose, and she... She says no, because she's still thinking about Ken that she broke up with shortly before she met me. And uh, finally, I polished off my proposal and kept on asking her, are you ready to say yes now? Finally, she said yes. And, and just uh, a couple months later, we got married. Well, uh, here we get married. I wanted to get married soon, not a long time from now, because I was afraid she'd meet too many more Christians that uh, guys that she'd be more impressed with than me because I was the only one that yeah. she really knew at the time. So, so we moved up the, the wedding date a little bit. And uh, at, the, at the wedding, I, I said, on the wedding program, I'd like to have a, a verse written out. And, and um, as a matter of fact, um, I think uh, we have, there's a picture... <laughs> There's a picture of us, actually. No, uh, that's not us. That's not us. It's, uh, it's, uh, that's the verse. Th- that's the verse. Okay, let's go back to the verse. Let's go to that verse. That verse is Romans 15, 5 and 6. <clears throat> and it, it says this. It's a, it's a great verse for every married couple. In its context, actually, when Paul wrote this, it was a verse that describes in the local church when you have people of all different backgrounds in a church, particularly you have Jews and Gentiles, and they're, they're quite different, it's an appeal for oneness in the church. But this apply this to marriage. And, and here's how this verse reads. The, the verse says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I had that printed on our wedding program and asked the people, our guests, to pray that for us and for our marriage. And may I say, I was a brand new baby Christian. He didn't realize he was missionary dating, (laughs) but he was. And I was a brand new Christian, and he said he wanted to put this on our program, and I said, sure, hon, that's great. Whatever you want to, you're the preacher, whatever you want to do, you're the spiritual one. So we put it on, and I didn't have a clue as to how profound that verse was going to be in our marriage. 
We didn't know <clears throat> that we were going to have to endure a lot of things. Mm-mm. We didn't know how much encouragement we were going to need. Uh, we just assumed that it was going to be smooth sailing because we both love the Lord and this isn't going to be too hard. But we needed endurance because marriage is not a 50-yard dash. It's, it's a lifetime commitment. It's a marathon. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so this is what we put. Now, let me tell you how much premarital counsel we got before we got married. <laughs> One appointment with the pastor. Mm-hmm. And he asked us two questions. Very tough questions. First one. The first one was, do you love each other? And we looked at each other. "Mm, Yeah, we, yeah. The second one was. What do you want to have sung at the wedding? (laughs) (laughs) That was it. That was it. That was it. But we went into marriage with that as our verse, saying we want oneness, such harmony with one another. We want e-harmony, not e-discord, okay? We want oneness. We wanted it. But we didn't have a clue as how And there's somewhere in there a picture, I think, of uh, us as a, on our wedding day. And if you... Nope. Oh, no, that's not it. That's not it. it no, that's, that's not, not it. That's not it. It's, it's in another batch. But anyway, it's, uh, if you see one that looks sort of like us, except I had hair... <laughs> Uh, later yeah, on. Yeah, that's, that's for later, that one. Uh, what, what we do know is this, that we wanted that oneness. But you know what? I actually had engraved uh, inside Peggy's wedding band this phrase, perfectly one, 6367. Because on June 3rd, 1967, we made a commitment towards oneness. You know, oneness is what every couple wants when they get married. People don't get married with the goal of destroying each other. They, get, they don't get married to be lonely. They're lonely and so they want to get married. But, you know, there's nothing more lonely than being married and lonely. The fact is, most marriages, every marriage is either moving toward oneness or it is drifting towards isolation. You move intentionally towards oneness. You drift by default into isolation. Heard someone say recently, all you need to have in order to fall in love is a pulse. But what you need to stay married and to thrive in your marriage is you need to have a plan. And you need to have power that's above your own in order to really go the long distance for that. So we wanted oneness, but wanting oneness doesn't automatically give you oneness. But here's some hope. God wants you to have oneness. God wants you, married couples, to have oneness in your marriage. God wants you as part of the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. God wants us in our churches to have oneness. And in our churches, we're going to drift toward isolation. 
unless we intentionally move toward oneness. See, God cares about your bride and God cares about his bride. The same principles that will work for a marriage work in the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, God created marriage in the first place to be a reflection and an illustration, a testimony of what the relationship is like between God and his children and between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Well, wanting oneness doesn't give you oneness. You're going to have every couple has difficult adjustments in their marriage. And every church has difficult adjustments when people come from contrasting backgrounds. How about our backgrounds in our marriage? You know, I'm the California boy. Yeah. And I marry. A Georgia peach. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I come to marriage with a background where, you know, I grew up as as a, a preacher's kid. And I grew up in a home where my dad was a self-made advertising businessman. I grew up in a home where, uh, because of being a minister, we, uh, my dad never earned much money, although he had an incredible impact. Mm-hmm. But without much money, my mom stepped up to the plate, and she was the frugal one. Yep. She handled the paycheck, and she would, she would parcel out uh, you know, uh, uh, well, on Friday nights would be treat night, and every all six kids would get six ounces of of Coke or Pepsi on Friday night. You know, we we would have powdered milk. We talked about that at the table. Powdered milk here, yeah. Sometimes we'd add water even to it uh, and make it liquid. But uh, everything was bought at a discount with a coupon. Oh my goodness, Peggy. I grew up in the total opposite kind of family. Daddy had a philosophy. He was self-made. He was a very successful man. And he had a philosophy that he passed on to me. He said... He sure did. He sure did. (laughs) He said, honey, why settle for less when for just a little bit more you can go first class? My dad had a gold money clip. And in his money clip, he had $100 bills. And if we went out to dinner with anybody, Daddy always picked up the bill. Now, I want you to know that I married a man with a paper clip and coupons. (laughs) And I came from a whole lot different place, right? So we had some difficult Difficult adjustments. Difficult adjustments that had come as a result of that. You know, and with my dad being a very uh, deliberate, slow-talking, he was more of a responder to people. He wasn't... A strong initiator, but he was a great responder. My dad was a decisive, fast-talking initiator. And Dave's dad was just like Dave. <laughs> Slow, spot responder. Yeah. So we, I would start to fill in his sentences, you know, when he would start to talk. Or I would be helpful and tell him um, what things he left out of his message on, on a given morning. I was being helpful, right? Not. Holy Spirit South yeah, that, is what she was, yeah. Holy Spirit South, right here. But, you know, yeah. you discover, and you know, in this part of the country as well as down where we live, that a lot of times you have turbulent weather. And you have turbulent weather 
when a warm air system and a cold air system come together. You see, that was us. that's where our differing backgrounds presented a challenge. And every couple faces challenges that way. No matter who you would have ever married, you would have had difficult adjustments. The question is, are you going to make them? It's so important that, but we need endurance and we need encouragement. encouragement. Yes, definitely. Uh, not criticism and not badgering and not nagging, but we need endurance and we need encouragement. And there is only one source for that. Well, wanting oneness doesn't give you oneness. But here's, here's the great thing to realize. Every, every couple ought to realize this. God wants you to have oneness. It's God's will that we have oneness. It's God's will that our kids see us as mom and dad having oneness in our marriage. How can you raise kids if mom and dad aren't united, don't have oneness? And by the way, united becomes untied when the I is out of place. I got a bad grade in one of my term papers in college because I was building up to the main point I was making and I pushed the wrong key on my typewriter. Typewriter, <laughs> not computer, not spell check, whatever. And my whole argument that I was making in my paper hinged on the word united. <laughs> and and I, I spelled it un, untied. But it makes a great illustration, doesn't it? Does. It? <laughs> it does. Dyslexics of the world, untie. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? Uh, uh, but you see, you know the main problem we've had in our marriage? Same problem you've had in yours. It's the big I problem. I spell sin this way. Small s, big I, small n. It's I all out of proportion. Yep. See, there are all kinds of threats to our marriages. God wants us to have oneness, but we'll never have oneness when we're selfish. One Christian counselor that has had a great influence in our life made this statement. He, he said, I have a great track record helping people, but I have a very lousy track record helping unhappy, selfish people become happy, selfish people. <laughs> you see, selfishness. It's probably I read another quote, too. one of our favorite quotes that uh, we came across a, a couple of years ago was this. We do well to remember that the entire population of the universe, with one trifling exception, is composed of others. <laughs> and yet we all think the world revolves around us. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Selfishness threats our marriage, many other threats to marriage. When we were speaking with family life for 22 years, by the way, we spoke, we probably did about 150 marriage conferences, weekend to remember conferences. We had the great privilege of speaking in 47, 48 states. And one of the states we never had a chance to share marriage principles in was West Virginia. And tonight is an answered prayer. <laughs> yeah. 
yes. that we get this chance to share these thoughts with you. So, so thank you. Thank you for Thanks me. for inviting us to come. <laughs> so we can check that out. But here's something, a lot of these principles we gleaned, they changed our life. By the way, the first time we ever went to a family life marriage conference, I went the first night by myself. That's true. Peggy said, uh, I'm too busy with the kids. I've been to so many seminars and they've rarely changed my life or impacted me and I'm just too busy now. As a matter of fact, I said, you go, hon, and if it's really, really good, I'll get a babysitter because I had little ones. I'll get a babysitter and I'll go with you on Saturday, but I really can't get a babysitter tonight and I'm, you know, I'm really conferenced out is what I said. So you'd go and we'll see if it's any good. You let me know. And he came home and he said, Peg, this is true truth. We're going tomorrow. <laughs> You're going to get a babysitter. We're going to go. Best thing, one of the best decisions we've ever That's made. right. And one of the things that, that I learned that mm-hmm. first night, and uh, then we started going back to the weekend to remember for, I think, 12 out of 13, 13. years in a row. We never dreamed we'd ever be speaking with Family Life. We just, we just kept on going and kept for our growth. And kept bringing, on bringing others. Bringing other people. And uh, one of the things that really hit me that night was, was this. They said, you need to remember that, uh, well, a lot of things on the first night, and then the next day, too, they were just saying things like, uh, remember this, that your mate is not your enemy. One of the things that that reminds me to say to you tonight, because I only have this one shot to <laughs> take the highlights and drop these pearls in West Virginia. <laughs> and even more importantly, I hope in your heart. Mm-hmm. It's this. God wants you to have oneness in your marriage. God wants you to have oneness in your church. Satan doesn't want you to have oneness in your marriage. And Satan doesn't want you to have oneness in your church. If I realize this, God... Satan doesn't care whether or not we have great marriages or lousy marriages, but he does care if our marriage glorifies God. He doesn't care if there are churches all around. Satan doesn't mind churches that just exist as a country club, but he does mind if churches are going to glorify Christ and lift up Christ. Fellowship Bible church. But Satan will even take the Bible and get people to argue over the Bible instead of submit to what the Bible says and do things the way God would have us to. So I need to remember this. I love this phrase. Remember this one from the conference? It says this, your marriage will not take place on a romantic balcony, but on a spiritual battlefield. Your marriage, our marriage, Mm -hmm. is not taking place on a romantic balcony. It's taking place on a spiritual battlefield. Mm -hmm. Let's go out on the balcony as often as we can. Yeah. Because God isn't against the balcony. He created the balcony, (laughs) if you know what I mean. Okay? (laughs) But you need to realize that if the main purpose of our marriage... And what we had our guests pray for for us on our marriage day 
our wedding day again was this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus so that together with one voice, what? You may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the goal of my marriage, our marriage, is not our happiness. So many people are bailing on marriage because they say, well, I'm not happy anymore, and I know it's not God's will that we're not happy, so so it must not be God's will that we be married. Or if if this romantic idea of, you know, if I just marry the right one, everything's going to go great and smooth, and we won't have problems. Well, you get married, and then you have problems. You say, well, I guess I must have married the wrong one because... If I married the right one, we wouldn't have problems. No. The question is, are we looking to Christ and are we submitting our lives to him and then relating to one another in such a way that will glorify him? Well, finding oneness in marriage. This is what we drove 600 miles to tell you. And tomorrow morning after the first service, we're driving back home. Mm -hmm. We drove this place, and it was no sacrifice. It was a joy to make every mile here. It's a joy to be here. But we didn't come here to just let you hear our story. We came here to tell you this. We want, God wants you to have oneness. We want you to have oneness. You want oneness. God wants you to have oneness. But I've got to tell you this. Our finding oneness in our marriage hinges on our finding fullness, our fullness in Christ. Let me repeat that. Our finding oneness in marriage hinges on our finding fullness in Christ. Because there's no husband that's going to meet all your needs. There's no wife that's going to meet all your needs. Your spouse is a gift from God But your spouse is not a substitute for God. And some of you are so disappointed in your marriage because you have expected of another fallen, finite human being what only God can deliver. And if you haven't found fullness in God himself, if you have not found fullness in Jesus Christ, you'll... Guarantee never find fullness anywhere else. My wife makes a beautiful gift from God, and she is. But she is a lousy substitute for God. Amen. I know that. Testify. If you are married, I want you to look at your spouse right now. And I want you to tell them this. You are not my enemy. <laughs> you are not my enemy. You are a gift from God. You are a gift from God. You are not a substitute for God. You're not a substitute for God. <laughs> Amen. You also could look at each other and say, You are now looking at the second most selfish person in the world. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to say that one. But what we do want to remind you of for sure is this. You want your marriage to thrive? I can tell you how. You need to 
Love extravagantly. And you need to forgive generously. And you need to encourage enthusiastically. Buster Barr? If, you, if we have time. Quickly. Okay. Dave's mom and dad were great examples to us. They were not perfect, but as he mentioned, they were. Dave's dad was a pastor, and for 67 years, they lived their life in front of us. Dave's dad especially was an extravagant lover of his bride. And I remember a story so clearly because it happened about two years or a year or so before Dad went home to glory. And it was a story that Dave's mom called us on the phone and told us, um, bragging on her her honey. And the, the back story to this is that Dave's dad developed diabetes and he had neuropathy in his feet. And he walked with a walker and he had to he had to pick his feet up and put them down, so he, he walked very deliberately. But he always wanted to keep himself in shape, so he, he walked around the facility that they lived in every day. They, they moved into an assisted living, and, and they would both walk around and do it differently, separate times. <clears throat> and so that was his habit of, of doing that. One summer afternoon... Um, he was just about ready to go out for his walk, and Dave's mom said, kind of just to the air, boy, it's a hot day. A Buster Bar sure would taste good today, wouldn't it? Do you all know what Buster Bars are? From Dairy Queen, There's a, it's a chocolate-covered um, ice cream bar, and it's got peanuts inside, and it's just delicious. It's, it's yummy. She loved those things. She absolutely loved those things. And that's all she said. She said, she was telling us the story. She said, all I said was, I would, it would sure taste good on a hot day like this. Dave's dad went out to take his walk and his usual time. And this particular time, he didn't come back about the, when he should have. She was starting to get a little concerned, she said. So she said, I was getting my stuff ready to go to the front desk to say, my husband hasn't come back and I'm getting a little concerned. Would somebody go and find him for me? And about the time she was about to go to, to ask for help, he came busting through the door, bumping with his walker through the back door with his deliberate walk, bumping in. And on one side of his walker, he had a brown paper bag from Dairy Queen with a Buster Bar in it. She said, It had melted. She said, It was melted, but I put it in the freezer and it got, it was okay. That man walked five very busy city blocks with his walker and neuropathy to get his bride a Buster Bar because she just mentioned she would love to have a Buster Bar. Never expecting. And it was so sweet to hear her relate that story to us. They lived that extravagant love in front of us. So love extravagantly and forgive generously. I just want to say this. One of the things when I was pastoring for 20 years in Atlanta, I would meet weekly with several other pastors in the city and we would pray God's blessing on each other's congregation, which is sometimes hard to do because you want God to bless your congregation (laughs) and not the one down the street. 
<laughs> but we, we would pray. And on one of those days, one of the pastors said this, please pray for us. There's a couple in our church where it's a serious situation. I've been counseling the husbands, the husband, and his wife is very dev- devastated, very bitter, very angry. He had sinned grievously against the marriage relationship. He, the pastor sensed that this gentleman was truly repentant, broken, and desiring to make things right and try whatever he could to rebuild the trust. The wife said this, I want someone to pay, and I want them to pay dearly. This very wise pastor told this bitter, hurting woman this. Stretching his arms out, he said, someone did pay, and he did pay dearly. And he told her, if you, who claim to know God, refuse to extend forgiveness to another sinner, what you are really saying, and you want him to pay dearly, and you'll even make him pay dearly, what you are really saying is a slap in the face to Jesus Christ, because you're saying what he did for you was not paying dearly. He paid it in full. We're here not to talk about us, but to point you to Jesus, what he did for you and for me at the cross. Remember, grace and salvation is not just to get you out of hell into heaven. It's what you and I need every day of our life to appropriate the work of Jesus Christ on the cross Experience his love that he lavished on us and then lavish that love on the fallen finite people he puts in our life. Before I close in prayer, I want you to look at the screen and as I read a sequence here describing what we pray for each of you. The question. Start over. Start, start over. At where the rose is. There. Oh, yeah. There. Okay. Good. The question is asked: Is there anything more beautiful in life than a young couple clasping hands and uniting hearts, starting down the path of marriage? Can there be anything more beautiful than young love? And the answer is given: Yes. There is a more beautiful thing. It is the spectacle of an old man and an old woman finishing their journey together on that path. Their hands are gnarled, but still clasped. Their faces are seamed, but still radiant. Their hearts are physically bowed and tired, but still strong with love and devotion for one another. Yes, there is a more beautiful thing than young love. Old love. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the privilege you've given us tonight 
to fellowship around the truths of the Bible that you have revealed and to be reminded of what you did for us. Father, I pray, I long for every married couple here to experience old love. We don't want their love to grow old. We want them to grow old in love. We pray that for them. We pray, Lord, over whatever obstacles may be threatening them doing that. If it's selfishness, the big I, Lord, I pray that rather than destroying each other through our own pride, that we will be willing to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that we will acknowledge our sin, our selfishness, our refusal to make those difficult adjustments, our, our, our mistaken thinking that causes us to think our mate is our enemy and we've been blinded to the fact that our mate is a gift from God. Or Father, maybe our greatest need here is to repent of, of trying to make a God of a gift, of expecting from our spouse what only you can give. Lord, we can never love our spouse the way we should unless we love you even more. And we'll never love you at all unless we have a grasp of how much you loved us first. I pray, Lord, if, if there's anyone here who, who maybe like Peggy was when, when uh, on our blind date, when mm-hmm. I assumed, I, I made an assumption she was already a believer, but, but Lord, um, I didn't need to convince her that she wasn't, but you showed her that what she was believing in was just religion and not you. And maybe someone here needs to receive you. They need to say, I do to you. I do trust you that you are the bridge, the only bridge to, the, to, to God. And I place my faith in you and what you have done for me at the cross. And Lord, I know that many of us would never think of turning to any other God for our salvation, but we turn to other gods for our satisfaction. We repent of that, God, and pray that we will find our fullness in you. May we not be guilty of the sin of displaced dependency, depending on anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ as the basis of our salvation, the basis of our satisfaction. May we truly come to find oneness in our marriages because we have found fullness in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.